You're listening to On Human Rights, where we talk to experts around the world about the latest and most important issues on human rights and humanitarian law. We're broadcasting from the Raoul Wallenberg Institute of Human Rights and Humanitarian Law in Lund, Sweden. I'm Gabriel Stein. Barbara Oman is the Dean of University College Roosevelt and Professor of Law at Utrecht University in the Netherlands and the co-editor of a new book, Global Urban Justice, The Rise of Human Rights Cities. Barbara, thank you very much for joining us. You're welcome. So happy to be here. So why don't we start really simple. What's a human rights city? A human rights city is a city that explicitly bases local policies on international human rights. And by now you have hundreds of human rights cities all over the world. They're actually all quite different. You have some cities that uh, base certain policies on a certain human rights treaty. So, for instance, you'll have New York basing um, using the Women's Convention as a basis for a local policy, or Chicago using the Convention on the Rights of the Child. So those are cities that go for specific human rights. And you have general human rights cities that call themselves a human rights city and really try to use the local space for realizing international human rights law. Why did you want to be involved in in this book project? Well, I think this is a fascinating development, the human rights cities. I also think it's a very promising development. And there's very little on it from an academic perspective. So you've had this practice of these human rights cities coming up over the past, uh, say, two decades, uh, 15 years. And, um, and well, these cities have been getting together, networking, developing best practices in, in terms of human rights. But there's very little scholarly research trying to map what's been happening and to theorize what this means for um, for human rights and for realizing these rights at the uh, at the local level. So what we did with the book is basically we got together everyone from all over the world who's been following this or working on this and the book, in a way, was a conversation about the question, you know, what are these human rights cities? What's the promise? What's the pitfalls, etc.? So it was a really, really exciting project to be on, to be involved in. And what would you, if you could generalize the promises and pitfalls uh, that the authors come out with in, in the book, could you kind of pick a few that are most interesting? Well, the... The, the promise is that of realizing human rights for, for the people to whom they <clears throat> matter most. So um, Eleanor Roosevelt said, you know, what meaning do human rights have if they don't have any meaning in, in, in small places? And I think that's very much the um, the, the promise. What you, what you see these days, of course, is that more people live in cities than um ever before, and, and, and more half than half of the world's population lives in cities. Uh, cities have increasing powers also where it concerns social welfare, where it concerns um, yeah, the day-to-day lives of, of, of people. Cities are also the places that have to deal with multiculturalism, with diversity, and, um, and, and, and human rights provide a language and a framework to do all this well and to the best benefit of everyone that lives in the city. So that's very much the promise. 
The pitfalls, um, I'd say, well, there's a number of them. One is, of course, that of, of, of cherry picking. If one city focuses on inclusion of people with disabilities, another city focuses on children's rights, there's not the whole catalogue of human rights and human rights protection that's been um, guaranteed. So, so, so that's really something to watch out for. Obviously, also the differences between local authorities. If we really see local authorities taking the lead in realizing human rights, this might be very nice for the people living in that particular city. But how about the um, city uh, next to it, for instance? So I think that's a, um, a, a danger. So, so those are two of the main dangers involved in, in, in the development I see. What are a few cities around the world that stick out as, you know, best practice human rights cities? Well, um, there, there, there's many of them, like uh, Gwangju in, in, in South Korea really uh, manifests itself as a human rights city and, and, and um, allows for a lot of democracy, a lot of participation uh, because of that label. Um, in Europe, I'd say Barcelona has been working on being a human rights city for the past 20 years and um, has been able to, to combat discrimination, to do more for its vulnerable citizens because of, of that identity. Graz in Austria would be a good example. In the U.S., uh, San Francisco would stick out and uh, New York as well. Of course, there, there's an interesting um, to and fro between cities already being quite progressive and caring about their citizens and then adopting the identity of human rights city. And you know, you, it's difficult, of course, to see to what extent this identity of being a human rights city leads to cities doing things that they might not have done otherwise. But, but um, yeah, these would be some examples of, of cities that do have adopted the label and have taken it seriously to the benefit of people living in the city. One would imagine that only a progressive city in the first place would begin to have a, a broader discussion about human rights and want to bring it down to the local level. So it's almost like one thing is next to the other, don't you think? Well, well, um, it often starts with progressive people, uh, uh, progressive mayor, someone, uh, people in the city council, uh, civil society. Um, but what you've seen in the long term human rights cities is that this has become institutionalized. This has become part of the local uh, identity and as such has transcended party politics and also, um, yeah, been um, strong enough to once there is a new mayor in place and once there is a new council in place still be there as a uh, as a force how are the lives of citizens in these cities being improved what are what are some examples of of concrete um, decisions or actions that have impacted the lives yeah well let, let's take the convention on the rights of 
of the child, for instance, um, and, and cities that have used that as a basis for their, their policies, then you'd be looking at um, children participating more in decision-making at schools, in um, the rights of children really being taken into account in urban planning, in allocating budgets to, uh, for instance, uh, food for children uh, who, who don't have breakfast at home, for instance. Um, yeah, so, so, so those kind of measures... If you'd be looking at those cities that have taken the CRPD, the Convention on the Rights of People Living with Disabilities, as a basis, these cities would um, ensure that their buildings are more open for people with disabilities, uh, that it's easier for them to vote, etc., etc. And what do we know about uh, the difficulties in finding funding for initiatives which may cost more money because you're adding a human rights element to it? I mean, cities are strapped for cash just yeah. like many governments are. Well, um, some of the best practices that we identify in the book and that I've seen are those cities who really also do human rights budgeting. So in allocating funding already have human rights concerns in mind. Of course, human rights do not necessarily have to cost money. I mean, refraining from certain things, uh, infringing on people's privacy, for instance, uh, is cheaper and, and, and more in line with human rights. But even where it concerns social and economic rights, you'll see that human rights cities in paying attention, for instance, to the social rights of the most vulnerable, to their economic rights, can also save money because um, people who have a job are not on welfare, etc. So it's it's not necessarily an expensive turn to take. It's much more about a human rights culture and about a certain mindset. Lack of knowledge about human rights has long been a worry. How does the concept of a human rights city change that uh, particular aspect? Well, the concept of human rights city brings human rights to the local level and uh, looks at local issues through the lens of human rights. I literally remember one meeting of this place in Nijmegen in the Netherlands, which is a human rights city where um, Amnesty International was involved and gave everybody human rights glasses, these yellow human rights glasses. So it's about um, looking at local issues through, through the human rights lens and coming to see um, certain problems as, as human rights issues, so where they concern the position of the disabled, where they concern um, undocumented migrants, etc. So, so it brings the whole concept of human rights home, makes it more tangible, and in that sense does very much help to, to uh, yeah, educate people about what human rights are. There is, of course, an important element of, of, of translation that, that in taking human rights to the local level, it's also important to align these rights with what's considered to be important locally, what's considered to be important the uh, yeah at, at the local level. So, for instance, in the book, we have the example of York, where they used to have a human rights commission. And at some point, that commission was recalled the, the Fairness Commission because fairness just sounds 
better and is more in line with what people in York feel to be important. So you have this interesting process of translation, which to me is part of the actual realization of human rights. Right, because the concept of human rights may not, uh, when many people hear the word uh, or the phrase human rights, they don't directly sense, okay, these are the rights that I have, these are the rights that my citizens have. Um, So in one way, it seems like bringing this to the local level allows for that type of creativity where you can open it up a bit more and really have an impact on people's lives. But I'm um, curious, you know, if, for example, there's something called a fair trade city. Lund is a fair trade city. But you have these words that sometimes don't mean anything at all, or they do mean something, but uh, people are a bit skeptical about them. So I wonder... Uh, for example, when you talk about fairness, you talk about civil rights, you talk about human rights. Some people will have a, a stronger connection to one or the other, and I wonder if that's yeah. a challenge. Yeah. Well, well, it, it is. It is, of course, and 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 especially the shift from human rights to 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 civil rights, where where you basically uh, delimit human rights to to those that are a citizen is, of course, a very very meaningful one. But I think um, the emphasis on human rights um, might, might seem alien also to, to local authorities at, at first, but you do see in these human rights cities that it also it also helps cities to kind of identify as, as, as cosmopolitan and global, which, which is important to many cities these days, and to have a language to deal with the diversity that they have in, 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 within their urban boundaries. And I suppose the moment that being a human rights city starts becoming important and and worthwhile is when cities are tested. So, for instance, what you see now with the refugee influx in Europe, you see big, big differences between municipalities. And I find that, for instance, the municipality... I'm from Middelburg in the, in the Netherlands uh, that has been a human rights city for the past two, three years. This is one of the reasons why I became interested. Um, is now really welcoming to refugees and people really put in an effort to have them integrate. Now, is that because... Middleburg is a human rights city. I think it's part of the the explanation that the town has come to self-identify as a welcoming city where the rights of all are respected and that now that this is put to the test with, in this case, 600 refugees um, seeking refuge, that the city is putting its money where its mouth was. And... So what's the next stage now? If if you look, you, you said 10, 15 years, you know, the concept has been around and growing. Uh, what do you see happening now and going forward? Yeah. Well, up to now, it's really been a movement of like-minded cities that find this important, that find each other in international networks. So that's where we are now. Um, I think it's been established now that human rights are important at the local level, also from a legal perspective. And to me, what has to be done now is an expansion of networks of human rights cities and of insights in the relevance of human rights in the city so that 
one day all local authorities will feel responsible for the realization of international human rights law. Barbara Oman, thank you very much. You're welcome. Thank you. Barbara Oman is the Dean of University College, Roosevelt, and Professor of Law at Utrecht University in the Netherlands, and the co-editor of a new book, Global Urban Justice, The Rise of Human Rights Cities. On Human Rights is broadcast from the Rao Wallenberg Institute of Human Rights and Humanitarian Law in Loon, Sweden. I'm Gabriel Stein. Thanks so much for listening today. We'll be back soon with more talking to experts around the world about the latest and most important issues on human rights and humanitarian law.